Good morning, friends. Today is Sunday, the 15th of May, 2022. It is the fifth Sunday of Easter. Our readings for this morning are Psalms 24 and 29, Leviticus 8, 1 through 13 and 30 through 36, Hebrews 12, 1 through 14, and the Gospel of Luke 4, 16 through 20. You'll recall that the readings for the daily office, which is the morning prayer that we celebrate together, here is different are different than the readings that you will hear at um, Holy Eucharist or other church services this morning. The two lectionaries, the daily office and the Holy Eucharist, are different readings, but designed to dovetail together so that throughout the year you are reading in a beautiful, holy cyclical, seasonal way, I guess. Sorry, I'm at a little bit of loss for words this morning. And you might notice that I sound a little um, either husky or ill. Um, we'll go with husky. I'm, I'm not ill. I have worn out my vocal cords um, cheering my son's rowing team on. And they just... So... His boat, which is the second varsity boat, as well as all of the other um, top boats, so all of the varsity boats, both boys and girls for his school team, medaled yesterday in the state championships. So I was running up and down the banks of the river, um, screaming and yelling and cheering them on, which I'm sure had much to do with their success. <laughs> so I'm a little, I'm a little hoarse today, but I'm not sore at all and not sick. So don't, don't worry about me. Just if you can bear with the somewhat creakiness of my voice this morning, that would be lovely. Thank you so much. It's been a while since we've been together and I am very glad to be here with you all. This morning, we're going to really use a combination of different sources for our liturgy. Um, we do use the order from the Episcopal Book of Common Prayer still is the basis for the way we order this service, and much of our liturgy comes from there. It was kind of my original source document, and as you know, I'm a practicing Episcopalian, um, but I have really come to love many other sources. Um, so I'm going to incorporate some of them into our readings each, into our liturgy each morning. And I hope that that is um, more opening than it is confusing for you. But as always, let me know, you know, um, give me, give me feedback and I'm happy to accommodate. That being said, we're going to begin with an opening prayer from the Iona Abbey Worship Books, opening responses for prayers for the world and its people. Believing that God made and loves the world, we gather. That it may be reshaped to fulfill God's purposes, we pray. To seek a wisdom deeper than our own, than our own thinking, we listen. To honor God who gave us voice, we worship. Alleluia, Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Alleluia. Christ has entered not, a, not into a sanctuary made with hands, a copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, 
now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. The Confession of Sin on page 79 of the Book of Common Prayer. Dearly beloved, we have come together in the presence of Almighty God, our Heavenly Creator, to set forth God's praise, to hear God's holy word, and to ask for ourselves and on behalf of others those things that are necessary for our life and our salvation, and so that we may prepare ourselves in heart and mind to worship God. Let us kneel in silence and with penitent and obedient hearts confess our sins, that we may obtain forgiveness by God's infinite goodness and mercy. God of all mercy, we confess that we have sinned against you, opposing your will in our lives. We have denied your goodness in each other, in ourselves, and in the world you have created. We repent of the evil that enslaves us, the evil we have done, and the evil done on our behalf. Forgive, restore, and strengthen us through our Savior Jesus Christ, that we may abide in your love and serve only your will. Amen. Almighty God, have mercy on us. Forgive us all our sins through the grace of Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep us in eternal life. Amen. O God, let our mouth proclaim your praise and your glory all the day long. Alleluia. Christ is risen indeed. Come, let us worship. Alleluia. Come, let us sing to God. Let us shout for joy to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before God's presence with thanksgiving and raise a loud shout to God with psalms. For you are a great God. You are great above all gods. In your hand are the caverns of the earth and the, and the heights of the hills are yours also. The sea is yours for you made it and your hands have molded the dry land. Come, let us bow down and bend the knee and kneel before God our maker. For you are our God, and we are the people of your pasture and the sheep of your hand. Oh, that today we would hearken to your voice. Alleluia. Christ is risen indeed. Come, let us worship. Alleluia. Psalm 24. The earth is God's and all that is in it the world, and those who live in it. For God has founded it on the seas and established it on the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of God? Who shall stand in God's holy place? Those who have clean hands and pure hearts, who do not lift up their souls to what is false and do not swear deceitfully. They will bring blessing from God and vindication from the God of their salvation. Such is the company of those who seek God, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the sovereign of glory may come in. Who is the sovereign of glory? God, strong and mighty. God, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the sovereign of glory may come in. Who is this sovereign of glory? The God of hosts. This is the sovereign of glory. 
Psalm 29. Ascribe to God, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to God glory and strength. Ascribe to God the glory of God's name. Worship God in holy splendor. The voice of God is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. God over mighty waters. The voice of God is powerful. The voice of God is full of majesty. The voice of God breaks the cedars. God breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of God flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of God shakes the wilderness. God shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of God causes the oaks to whirl and strips the forest bare. And in God's temple all say glory. God sits enthroned over the flood. God sits enthroned as sovereign forever. May God give strength to God's people. May God bless God's people with peace. Praise to the holy and undivided Trinity, one God, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. A reading from the book of Leviticus, chapter 8, verses 1 through 13 and 30 through 36. God spoke to me. God spoke to Moses. Thanks for bearing with me today, folks. Saying, take Aaron and Aaron's sons with him. The vestments, the anointing oil, the bull of sin offering, the two rams, and the basket of unleavened bread, and assemble the whole congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Moses did as God commanded him. When the congregation was assembled at the entrance of the tent of meeting, Moses said to the congregation, This is what God has commanded to be done. Then Moses brought Aaron and Aaron's sons forward and washed them with water. He put the tunic on him, fastened the sash around him, clothed him with the robe, and put the ephod on him. He then put the decorated band of the ephod around him, tying the ephod to him with it. He placed the breastpiece on him, and in the breastpiece he put the Urim and the Thummim, and he set the turban on his head, and on the turban in front, he set the golden ornament, the holy crown, as God commanded Moses. Then Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it and consecrated them. He sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times and anointed the altar and all its utensils and the basin and its base to consecrate them. He poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. And Moses brought forward Aaron's sons and clothed them with tunics and fastened sashes all around and fastened sashes around them and tied headdresses on them as God commanded Moses. Then Moses took some of the anointing oil and some of the blood that was on the altar and sprinkled them on Aaron and Aaron's vestments, and also on Aaron's sons and their vestments. Thus Moses consecrated Aaron and Aaron's vestments, and also Aaron's sons and their vestments. And Moses said to Aaron and Aaron's sons, Boil the flesh at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and eat it there with the bread that is in the basket of ordination offerings. As I was commanded, Aaron and Aaron's sons shall eat it. 
and what remains of the flesh you shall burn with fire. You shall not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting for seven days until the day when your period of ordination is completed, for it will take seven days to ordain you. As has been done today, God has commanded to be done to make atonement for you. You shall remain at the entrance of the tent of meeting day and night for seven days, keeping God's charge so that you do not die, for so I am commanded. Aaron and Aaron's sons did all the things that God commanded through Moses. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. Thanks be to God. Canticle E, which can be found in Enriching Our Worship, Volume 1. A Song of Jerusalem, Our Mother. Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her, all you who love her. Rejoice, rejoice with her, all you who mourn over her that you may drink deeply with delight from her comforting breast. For thus says our God, I will extend peace to her like a river, the wealth of nations like an overflowing stream. You shall nurse and be carried on her arm, and you shall nestle in her lap. As a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. You shall see, and your heart shall rejoice. You shall flourish like the grass of the fields. A reading from the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before them endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken their seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider this one who endured such hostility against themselves from sinners, so that you may not grow weary or lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as children. My child, do not regard lightly the discipline of God, or lose heart when you are punished by God. For God disciplines those whom God loves and chastises every child whom they accepts. Endure trials for the sake of discipline. God is treating you as children. For what child is there whom a parent does not discipline? If you do not have that discipline in which all children share, then you are illegitimate and not God's children. Moreover, we had human parents to discipline us, and we respected them. Should we not be even more willing to be subject to the God of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But God disciplines us for our good, in order that we may share God's holiness. Now discipline always seems painful, rather than pleasant at the time but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with everyone and the holiness without which no one will see God. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. Thanks be to God.
As our second canticle, I would like to read to you a prayer by the Reverend George F. McLeod, um, who, from Iona. This is from a book, The Whole Earth Shall Cry Glory, which was published in, I think, 1985 by the Iona community. Um, this particular prayer is called A Chaos of Uncalculating Love. We are living in a changing day, God. All the old rules and regulations for living are slithering to the ground. And you lived in a changing day, Christ. All the old rules and regulations of the scribes and Pharisees were slithering to the ground. But it was your custom to go to the temple, to the noisome temple, sometime to the scandalized temple, listening to the mumbo jumbo. But it was your custom to go until the new temple of your body was available for people. Give us grace in our changing day to stand by the temple that is the present church, the noisome temple, the sometimes scandalized temple that is the present church, listening sometime to what again seems mumbo jumbo. Make it our custom to go till the new outline of your body for our day becomes visible in our midst. In the temple you healed, our sovereign Christ, despite the noise and scandal you healed, and we are your body even today. You have no hands but our hands, no feet but our feet. Ours are the eyes with which you look out compassionate on the world. You have ordained that you don't, you just don't come except through us. Give us faith in great healings, despite the noise and scandal of our modern dimness. Your grace and power are such. None can ever ask too much. Heal again, even through us. For so you have ordained, till the new outline of your body becomes visible in our midst. In the temple you threw out the money changers, sovereign Christ. Down the steps and out of the door and into the vacant aisles came the children, shouting for joy and dancing round. Too often we are the money changers, giving short change in spiritual things to many who seek the true coin, making the church an institute when you want it to be a chaos of uncalculating love. Drive out from our hearts our calculated offerings, our easy responses, and let childlike faith flood into us again. Grant us such abandon of your grace alone that we too shall be made strong to go outside the city wall, outside holiness, and die in the bloody mess of another Calvary, that the church at home may live again. The Holy Gospel of our Savior Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Glory to you, Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 20. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about them spread through all the surrounding country. Jesus began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When Jesus came to Nazareth, where they had been brought up, Jesus went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was Jesus' custom. Jesus stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to them. They unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of God is upon me, because God has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. 
God has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of God's favor. And Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on Jesus. The Gospel of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Praise to you, Jesus Christ. As an affirmation of faith, we're going to read this affirmation from the Iona community's daily act of prayer. It's found in the book, 50 Great Prayers from the Iona Community, compiled by Neil Painter. With the whole church, we affirm that we are made in God's image, befriended by Christ, empowered by the Spirit. With people everywhere, we affirm God's goodness at the heart of humanity, planted more deeply than all that is wrong. With all creation, we celebrate the miracle and wonder of life, the unfolding purposes of God, forever at work in ourselves and the world. Amen. God be with you and also with you. Let us pray. Our creator in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your dominion come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us through the time of trial deliver us from evil. For the sovereignty, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Suffrages set A, beginning at the bottom of page 97 of the Book of Common Prayer. Show us your mercy, O God, and grant us your salvation. Clothe your ministers with righteousness. Let your people sing with joy. Give peace, O God, in all the world for only in you can we live in safety. God, keep this nation under your care and guide us in the way of justice and truth. Let your way be known upon earth, your saving health among all nations. Let not the needy, O God, be forgotten, nor the hope of the poor be taken away. Create in us clean hearts, O God, and sustain us with your Holy Spirit. Collect for Sundays. O oh God, you make us glad with the weekly remembrance of the glorious resurrection of your incarnate, our Savior. Give us this day such blessing through our worship of you that the week to come may be spent in your favor. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. In a prayer from the Archbishops of Canterbury and York, respectively Justin Welby and Stephen Cottrell, God of peace and justice, we pray for the people of Ukraine today. We pray for peace in the laying down of weapons. We pray for all those who fear for tomorrow, that your spirit of comfort would draw near to them. We pray for those with power over war or peace, for wisdom, discernment, and compassion to guide their decisions. Above all, we pray for all your precious children, at risk and in fear, that you would hold and protect them. We pray in the name of Jesus, the Sovereign of Peace. Amen. As our prayer for mission, the prayer attributed to St. Francis, found on page 833 of the Book of Common Prayer. God, make us instruments of your peace. 
Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is discord, union. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. Grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. And another prayer from George MacLeod, the Galilean language. This is found on page 62 of the whole earth shall cry glory. The Galilean language. Let us pray for the peace of the world. Prayer is the same word as pray. Er, God. You can't begin to answer us until we are the words we pray. We would like fair shares for all around the world and no one starving and no one cold. And you are the bread of life and can do it through us. But your life was giving and how much of ours is keeping. We must have our gadgets. We must have our lushness, our holidays, our balances, our superiority, our surpluses. So nothing much happens about the starving and the cold, our 2% providings and our 98% prerogatives. Give us this day our daily bread, hardly spans our own local river, scarcely begins to embrace the poverty accumulating on the Red Seashore. Give us Pentecost, God, where Jews and Arabs, Africans and Afrikaners Germans, Russians, and Chinese begin to listen once again just to the Galilean language. We would like to be rid of armaments, God. Everyone would like to be rid of armaments. Jews, Arabians, Greeks, Chinese, Russians, Ukrainians. But it's what other chaps might do. Say the Greeks, say the Arabs, say the Jews, say the Chinese, say the Russians, the Ukrainians, the Americans. And dear God, we say it too. Come into our council chambers when all the doors are locked. Come in and show us your broken hands and wounded side as at the first Easter. Say again with power, peace be unto you. And take us back to Galilee for a great catch. Give us a Pentecost again so that all of us can hear the Galilean language. Take us to the mountaintop today, dear God. Convince us of your radiant body, alive with light and pouring out its freshness from above to radiate the whole round world. But recall us to our, to our allegiance. You are the only radiant body that you have got. We are the only radiant body that you have got. If love does not start with us, it will never start at all. Pentecost is not some future hope. The rushing, mighty wind of peace is howling to get into the shuttered, fetid prison we have contrived, buttressed by our prejudices, barred and bolted with our fears. Give us faith in peace again, faith in your way of peace. It will never come from the Vatican or bishops or assemblies. It will only come from you to each. It can only come through each of us right now. Take the terror from us. Give us faith. Or failing that, give us the honesty not to pray to you for peace at all. We ask it for your sake indeed. I think now is a good time, friends, for us to lift, hold in the light, and circle in love those whom the Spirit has placed upon our hearts for prayer.
Amen. There are a few things that I would like to say about the scriptures today, if you would bear with me. I know this is kind of a long one. Um, I think as I pull out key words that signify to me the message that I at least am receiving today, I hope it's helpful for you as well. I think of loyalty, voice, consecration, discipline. We'll get to that. I know it's interesting. And anointed. So I think we'll go through kind of an order that we read them and um, see if the Holy Spirit can bring some order as we talk them through. Um, for those who are impatient with verbal processors, you might want to skip forward. Sorry about that. Um, definitely, I fall within that description. So Psalm 24, um, in verses 3 through 5, says, who shall ascend the hill of God? Who shall stand in God's holy place? Those who have clean hands and pure hearts, who do not lift up their souls to what is false and do not swear deceitfully, they will receive blessing from God and vindication from the God of their salvation. So I'm going to digress just a second, actually. Sorry about this. Um, this psalm I love the way that my commentary puts it. Um, presupposes the combat myth in which the storm god defeats chaotic sea, who threatens to destroy the world, creates the orderly universe, and erects a palace, a temple, to commemorate the, vis to commemorate the victory. Israel likely borrowed and transformed this myth from its Canaanite predecessors. When we get to... Um, our second psalm, Psalm 29, it is, um, there's a lot of theophany in it, right? Uh, the voice of God over the waters, the God of glory thunders, the mighty waters, and then all this beautiful metaphoric depiction of the storm shaking and rumbling and blowing the earth, shaking the wilderness, and God sitting enthroned over all of it. So I love a good theophany. Um, I'm not going to pull that in. I don't think we'll see into the rest of what I have to talk about today, but I, I just wanted to digress there for a minute. Um, my son and I were visiting on mother's day, uh, the Smithsonian museum of Asian art, which is really kind of two museums together, the Freer and the Sackler galleries. And, um, I noticed at first, I think actually in the gift shop, they had, um, it was so sweet, an umbrella with the goddess of thunder on it. I think she was the goddess of thunder or storms. And I do love a good theophany, like the immense power of God in nature. I think it is sometimes hard for us to reconcile the destruction of storms with God. And I know that for earlier peoples, it was a way of understanding um, the destructive power of nature to personify it with a God figure. And I, I think it's, it's even still easy to do so today, but there's so much more caught up in it for us. You know, there's what we've done to the environment and how it has disrupted the patterns of nature and 
for me, especially in this, what is turning out to be a very long season, maybe lifelong, um, of Celtic spirituality, I, I see this both disconnect and then connection. And let me explain that for a minute. Um, it is both that we have disconnected ourselves from nature and there are terrible consequences, right? And also that whether we want to be or not, we are still connected to creation. And so the very disruption that we have created then disrupts ourselves. So a lot of the chaos and turmoil that we find ourselves in, in our world, in our culture, from the most grandiose to the most minuscule can also be traced to what we have done to the world in which we live, how we, how we have wounded creation. And it is my prayer that this would be our awakening, that we would awaken and take action and come into better alignment with creation into better rhythm is probably a better way of saying that. So sorry for the aside, but then going on. So I think it, it can be very um, easy to read this passage from Psalm 24 and, and hear it as only those who are without sin or even those who have not made mistakes are welcomed by God. And really, it, that's not what's being said here, I don't believe. Again, going to my commentary, the way that the commentator interprets this is only those loyal to the victorious God are fit to share the fruits of victory. The scrutiny determines whether worshipers have been loyal. And so to me, that says those who have, have stuck with God who have followed God through the difficulty, through the battle, even through the times when it looked like victory may not happen. And these are those that then share in the fruits of the victory. And I really do believe that the language of sovereigns and of warriors was used in the Psalms because that is what the psalmist knew. This was the most powerful imagery to them. So I don't want us to get caught up in mistaking the imagery of battle for God's condonement of violence. Okay. So let's, let's not do that, but let's stick on this loyalty as sticking through um, as going through the battle, even through the hard times. Let's, let's stick there. And then let's talk, um, let's talk about our next Psalm, Psalm 29. And in addition to the interesting theophany that we noted earlier, um, over and over, this Psalm speaks about the voice of God. seven times in this section, 
And I think it's more than the metaphor of thunder, the sound of thunder is God's voice. I also think that thunder is a metaphor for the power of God's voice. And in God's voice, in the word voice, there is wrapped up so much. It is the word of God, the speaking of God, the message of God. And we find that in the midst of the storm and also in the storm itself and calling to us from all corners of the earth. And I think that that is an important thing to hold on to as well. Although I might not be tying it back into anything else later as, as I am the loyalty bit. So let, let's go on to our Hebrew scripture reading, which was from Leviticus. And over and over here, the writer describes Moses, or rather we should probably say God through Moses, commanding instruction, instructing and in the consecration of Moses, of um, Aaron and Aaron's sons, which we'll remember are priests and inheritors of priesthood, we might say. So firstly, I want to draw attention to that through bit. So God is working through Moses and God is also commanding, or we could say, instructing through Moses how this is going to be done, how consecration happens. Now I want to talk a little bit about consecration and what consecration means. So in an Episcopal Dictionary of the Church, a user-friendly reference for Episcopalians, which is is helpful because otherwise I I would look this up and, and write a small treatise on it and you guys would, would probably just fast forward it, but it's helpful to have a little paragraph snippet. So consecration, according to the dictionary, is it, the Episcopal Dictionary, is to set something or someone apart for a sacred purpose. The bread and wine of the Eucharist are consecrated at the great thanksgiving, and the consecration often means the consecration of the Eucharistic gifts. The central prayer accompanying the laying on of hands is the ordination of bishops, priests, and de- in the ordination of bishops, priests, and deacons, deacons is called the prayer of consecration. The prayer, the action, and the accompanying ceremonies are called the consecration in the Book of Common Prayer. The prayer book also speaks of the consecration of chrism by the bishop, the consecration of a grave, and the consecration of a church. I was having an interesting conversation um, with friends a couple weeks ago about sacred spaces and churches and using space for multiple purposes. And I really do believe that designated sacred space does not have to look like what we traditionally think of a church as a church. It can be, for me, it's this little alcove window in my bedroom. Um, for my son, it is, and he plays outdoors, you know, it was, it was that way for a lot of the Celts, but sorry, digressing again, bringing it back. Um, so here, Aaron and Aaron's sons were being consecrated So set aside for a sacred and special purpose. And I think that when we come together for this this time of prayer, when we come together for any time of prayer, 
we are communally reconsecrating ourselves or receiving God's consecration. And I, I do honestly believe that, that God is there in the church and also outside the church. And so every time we, intentionally refocus ourselves on God, reconnecting to the spiritual, we are being reconsecrated. So I wanted to draw that out. Um, I think I am going to skip for now um, our epistle reading and go to the gospel. We'll come back. Yeah, we'll come back to the epistle reading. So um, in our gospel reading this morning, I'd like to draw a few things out, um, starting with Jesus filled with the power of the spirit returned to Galilee and then began to preach. And so I think this is really important. So Jesus went away and took some time went to a sacred place, a place sacred to Jesus and God, in the wilderness even, and became refilled or filled back up. Because I think that going about and teaching was sometimes depleting for Jesus, just as it is sometimes depleting for us to be going about doing even the things that we were anointed, which we'll get to, to do. Um, can be depleting and we must sometimes go away from our normal daily lives and be refilled. This time is a time of refilling for me. Also, I find that I need longer times. I mean, that's why we have vacation time, right? That was the intent. I don't know that we always use it in that way, but that going away and being refilled both in, in smaller chunks and in larger chunks of what we consider to be time. We've talked before about the difference between our time and God's time, but we're not going to go there today. We're going too many places already. Um, this, this taking time and creating space for filling, I think is so, it's so important. And so I just wanted to note that before I moved on to the anointing bit. So um, we heard also in our reading from George McLeod about Jesus's custom, right? That his custom was to go to the temple and our custom is to go to church. And we, we keep coming back. We make that part of the rhythm of our spiritual life. And we trust that even when it is imperfect, as it is so often, that we keep coming until even church is refilled. And that we are part of that, that it is done partly through us. So finally, as promised, getting on to the anointing. So Jesus says, the spirit of God is upon me because God has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. God has sent me to re proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, 
So according to the Episcopal Dictionary of the Church anointing, sacramental use of oil is an outward sign of God's active presence for healing, initiation, or ordination. Anointing with oil by smearing or pouring may accompany prayers for healing, unction, and the laying on of hands in the right for ministration to the sick. See Book of Common Prayer, page 453. The signing with the cross of the newly baptized may be done by anointing with the oil of chrism, which signifies that the person is, quote, sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and marked as Christ's own forever, end quote. The Book of Common Prayer, page 308. The oil for anointing may be scented with different fragrances used in services for healing, initiation, or ordination. And I would go even, you know, dig into that a little bit more and, and say that we are being anointed and related to consecration, consecrated for a purpose. So when Jesus talks about being anointed here, he's talking about the calling that God has laid upon Jesus's life, that this is, well, more than Jesus. Well, Jesus's life extends beyond his time on this earth, but the purpose and calling that that which Jesus was sent to do, and that is to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to let the oppressed go free. And so um, I think this, for me at least, all ties together back to the the loyalty bit, the, the being focused on what we are called by God to do, for what purpose we have been anointed by God, and to be consecrated both in the official rites of the church and also in our daily acts to continually be reconsecrated to that purpose and to focus our actions, our energy, our time, talent, and treasure on that purpose that it may be enacted, enacted that that blessing that God seeks to bring to creation, to the world, through our presence can happen. I'd like now, I think, to go to our our epistle reading and um, kind of pull out another another piece of the thread or another thread from this. So bear with me as I go there, friends. And I'd like to say too, as I'm as I'm getting to that uh, section in our Bible, that I think that there is a great breadth and depth to to our anointing, um, to our calling, to our purpose, that it it does have different components through the seasons. Um, and there are moments where it might not look like the same calling, but it is it is the calling both evolving and adapting to where we find ourselves and the community in which we find ourselves, the context in which we find ourselves at that particular intersection of space, time, holy growth, spirituality, geography, all of all of these things. So Hebrews 
speaks to us about um, discipline. And I, I think, again, this is, this is a, a section of verses that is often misinterpreted and we take it to mean and it and it even references God's punishment like God is beating and understanding into us and again this is these are metaphors that would have been easily understood by the audience to whom this epistle was being written but we I think would be remiss if we mistake the metaphor for the message. Um, the metaphor is just a carrier of the message. And the message here, I believe, is that it is through all circumstance that we evolve in understanding relationship um, and spiritual depth with God's help, like in co-creation of our spiritual selves with God. And this is related, I think, to a couple of, probably way more than a couple, but in my mind, a couple of passages um, in scripture, one of which is Genesis um, chapter 50, verse 20. And it reads, even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good in order to preserve a numerous people as God is doing today. And then also a reading from Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to God's purpose. And we, and we know that we are all called for God's purpose and that we are all created for God's good. And, and I think this connects with with everything that we've talked about before with loyal today and so many things other times, right? Loyalty, consecration, anointing, um, all of these things. And I think the the passage here is, is not saying that, that God hurts us on purpose. Oh, never my beloveds. I really believe that it is saying that um, when we, are awake and intentional about allowing God to do good, to do love through us and to grow in and deepen in spiritual understanding and being with God. It often hurts. God does not make the hurt, but the hurt is sometimes a component, an experience as we, as we move through life and the often crises and trauma and turmoil and, and, and devastation of human life. And as co-creators with God, um, do something with that. Allow it to be turned for good. Allow it to grow us. Allow ourselves to learn from it and, and, and be opened by it.
that that hurts facing facing life head on with god can often hurt and in intentionally loyally persevering through the hurt um we often find its um antithesis it's it's um dissonant partner maybe that's that's not a good way of saying it but um which is grace that strange thing is that in the woundedness we find grace but when we choose to do this like it can feel like the choice to be in close relationship with god brings pain um but the truth is that the choice to partner with God moving through life can be very hard. Um, it can feel, especially in the short term, like it's easier and less painful to, to, to go back to sleep to it. I mean that both <laughs> literally and figuratively um, to run away, to numb, to ignore, and I want to say too that that that's not to say um, that there aren't times when it is most fruitful to rest, to pause, to process, right? We have to be actively barreling through. That's it's not what the message is here either. But I do believe that the the message is that when we are co-creators with God of a more spiritually deep and beautiful world and self and experience that can be painful. We can trust in God and the angelic host, the cloud of witnesses of those who have gone before to help us through. We are not alone. And the point is not suffering. The point is grace. Often found in suffering, but not the end. The end is grace. The end is love. Of each experience. No matter how terrible. We go through it with God, bravely intentional. The result is grace and love. All right, folks, I have gone on for almost an hour of recording today, which is getting close to, um, oh gosh, it's well past two hours for, for me because um, there's a lot of bits I'm doing and reading in between when I'm speaking to you um, as we sit here together. So thank you. I am going to wrap this up. I apologize for running on so long. Perhaps it's because I missed you so much. Thanks for being here with me today. We're going to continue on in the Book of Common Prayer, my friends, to close us, to close us up. Let's say the general thanksgiving together. 
Almighty God, this is found on page 101 of the Book of Common Prayer. Almighty God, giver of all mercies, we, your co-creators, give you humble thanks for all your goodness and loving kindness to us and to all whom you have made. We bless you for our creation, preservation, and all the blessings of this life, but above all for your immeasurable love and the redemption of the world by our Savior, Jesus Christ for the means of grace and for the hope of glory. And we pray, give us such an awareness of your mercies that with truly thankful hearts, we may show forth your praise, not only with our lips, but in our lives, by giving up ourselves to your service and by walking before you in holiness and righteousness all day long, all our days. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit, be honor and glory throughout all ages. Amen. And the prayer of St. Chrysostom. Almighty God, you have given us grace at this time with one accord to make our common supplication to you. And you have promised through your well-beloved incarnate that when two or three are gathered together in Christ's name, you will be in the midst of us. Fulfill now, O God, our desires and petitions as may be best for us, granting us in this world knowledge of your truth, and in the age to come life everlasting. Amen. Let us bless God. Thanks be to God. The wisdom of God, the love of God, and the grace of God strengthen you to be Christ's hands and heart in this world. In the name of the Holy Trinity. Amen.